Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Co. studio, we are joined by Andrea Payne, an international global leader with 20 years experience working with government leaders around the world. She began her career in the military at the United States Army, where she handled multiple intelligence briefings to global leaders, such as diplomats, ambassadors and government officials. She is currently on the board of directors with the office of His Highness Sheikh Saeed bin Hasha Al Maktoum, where she helps investment projects get funding in the fintech, technology and healthcare sectors? I think it's something that I just want to be there and make sure people succeed. That's really important. Persistence is very important um, and being consistent. I think women have a hard time. I, I This is in my research too. Women have a hard time with their voices being heard. They had to be creative. There wasn't everything around me. You know, if you wanted to do something, they say, you can do it, just figure it out. You have to just come back as a woman and not be weak. And to me, at that point, I said, nobody's ever going to push me around like that. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Welcome back to another episode where, you know, episode after episode, we are joined by incredible women with incredible stories. And today is absolutely no different. Andrea Payne, welcome to the Heron Code Women in Leadership podcast. Just reading up about you, I was so excited for this moment to meet you and have this conversation. An international global leader, uh, 20 plus years of experience in your field. What you have achieved thus far has been unbelievable. And I cannot wait to kind of dive into how you got to where you are today. So we will get there eventually. Uh, And a question I've actually been asking our guests, because when I see your profile or when I see on social media, it gives you like a brief analysis of who you are. You know, it it doesn't really (laughs) tell us exactly who you are. So I'd love to hear from you to our listeners. uh, How would you describe yourself? Who are you? Sure. I would describe myself as a very hard worker. <laughs> it's um, something I, I think comes from my family. They, they drilled that into me as a young child. You know, if you work really hard, you can get somewhere. But I think that's also part of the American culture. You know, we see things on television where you have the rags to riches story, you have this, you know, you can achieve anything. It doesn't matter who you are. So, you know, I think that's kind of who I am. I really, you know, I tell people you really have to work hard, but you also have to have passion about what you do, you know, really believe in what you're doing. And if you don't, then just try something else (laughs) (laughs) so you can be successful. Because, I mean, when I was younger, I did things that I wasn't, I didn't enjoy. And I was like, okay, I can't do this very long. And people are like, what? (laughs) You just quit that Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's because I really, in, inside of me, I knew I, I needed to do something that I was truly passionate about to be successful, whatever that may be, and, and surround myself with the right people. So I think that's another thing I look at is surrounding yourself with other leaders. And it doesn't just have to be women. It can be a mentor, I believe. So that's something I look at, too, is I like to mentor other women and guide them, even if they don't work for me, and show them the way. So that's something else that's a part of me, mm, I believe. Yes. I love that. 
I love that that is uh, kind of ingrained in who you are as an individual. And I want to take you back because uh, there's so many things that you just said that I really want to pick on and dissect. Uh, your early days, when you were a teenager, you know, everyone has a dream. I want to be a footballer one day. I want to be a ballerina. Uh, what is it that you wanted to be when you were younger? That's very interesting you said that. I always wanted to be in the military and I went in the military. And wow. I think it's because my grandfather was in the military and he always said these wonderful stories, these adventures. And I was always adventurous as a child. So at the age of 13, I said, I want to go in the military. And my parents were like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) But I kept saying, that's what I want to do. And then Mm -hmm. at 15, I said, I want to go in the military. They're like, what? (laughs) So finally, at 17, I begged my father to sign me to go into the military. Um, And it took me two or three tries to get him to, to allow me to go in because I wasn't 18 yet. And I had this opportunity to travel. And I'd actually tried out in, believe it or not, the Army Band. I was a band player. So I said, look, this is not risky. (laughs) And so finally, he was able to understand that I just wanted to travel, adventure, play my saxophone, play the piano, and just just enjoy. Mm -hmm. So when you were at school before joining the Army, that that was all you had your sights set on? You know, I had thought about acting at one time and modeling. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was something that I really, because I liked being in front of the camera and Mm -hmm. all those things. So yeah, when I was really little, five, six, seven, I used to watch watch as many movies as I could. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have cable living in the country. So if I could go to somebody's house, I'd be watching all these movies to like two or three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be an actress. (laughs) I'm going to be a model. And that was just kind of this little girl dream that I, you know, envisioned in my head, although it didn't happen. But yeah, it's just kind of like fun, fun to dream as yeah, a child, I think. It really, really is. And what's interesting is that, you know, to where you are now, you you just said yourself, you started off in the country. Now the culture there, society there is, uh, how would you best describe it? Because, you know, entrepreneurship, I would say, is way out of the box when you're living in the country, is it? You know, to travel internationally. I mean, you're, you're best to tell me on how it kind of worked then. Yeah, I think traveling internationally was not something that people did in a town of a thousand. Mm-hmm. But entrepreneurship was always around me, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Um, in a little, a little town, everybody has to create their own thing. You might not have the resources that you have other places. And when I moved into the city, I realized wait a second, there's a lot of resources here. But there, you'd have to create things. And I think that changed me as a child, because I had to be creative. There wasn't everything around me. You know, if you wanted to do something, they say, you can do it, just figure it out. But in the city, they're like, oh, you can you can find somebody to do that for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, because <laughs> I didn't grow up that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, my family had multiple different types of businesses. Uh, my dad's family, my mother's family, and they weren't just pinned into one thing. So then I realized, okay, this is totally different, you know, because they had to create those things. Right. To, just to have that probably in that little town, mm-hmm. you had to create something to have something. Of course. Of <laughs> so it's a total different mindset, I think, um, as a child versus maybe somebody that was just handed things. You know, my parents wanted me to be creative. And I, I, I like that part of living in the country, I, I believe. Now looking back, it was part of my who I am now today. I, I look at things like, okay, I can do that. Even though, okay, somebody says, oh, we don't have the resources. I will figure out the resources <laughs> in another alternative way. So I think it, it, it changed my mindset for the rest of my life. Mm, it kind of set you, set the tone for the yes, rest of your life as yes, well. Yes, it did. Uh, yes. So you went and joined the military. 
military at 17, 18 years old. Yes. How was that? What, how long were you there? Uh, what was your mentality whilst you were there? Being away from your family as well must have been difficult. Uh, tell us more about that. Sure. At the age of 17, I started traveling. So I wasn't in high school. I actually it was really interesting. I, I didn't tell my friends what I was doing because my band director said, do not do that. And so I was not in high school that much my last year. I was just playing the instruments and enjoying myself. So I did that for about three years. Then I went into military intelligence. I decided that I was tired of playing music and just wanted to do it as a hobby. And then um, that was that was a whole different ballpark because I worked in the general staff, which was very intense, a total different situation. I had to get up very early in the morning, brief him at 7 a.m. And um, I had to talk to secret clearance about three different levels. And I worked with diplomats, ambassadors. And I think the biggest thing with me uh, being successful in that role was being able to write. A lot of people couldn't write um, where I was at. So I had to write the intelligence reports and present every day a two-hour report. So that was really, really, everything had to be a global what was going on in the world. I had to do the a complete um, uh, secret intelligence, I should say, at that time. But, you know, I was very young. I was only, at that time, 27 years old. But the general, the two-star general, wanted me because he said my writing and research was so good. And I didn't even have a college degree at that time. But he said, I, I want her here every day. And I was the only woman in the, the general staff. So I, I learned very fast. Wow. Wow. There are so many things there because it's one thing being young, 27. There's another thing being, especially in those days, without education, which nowadays people don't really stress on, I would say. You know, they actually look for the individual and the personality and the grit and determination they have. So being young, being a woman and being without a what would have been deemed a solid education, how did you have the confidence to walk into those rooms and give briefings to strong, powerful men? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good one. Um, I, I, I think I prayed every day. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, it was sometimes very intense because the two-star general I worked for, he threw things in the room. He wasn't exactly nice. They called his nickname was the, ty the tyrant, if that gives you anything. So he had a stack of sponge bricks on his table. If he didn't like something I said, he would throw it against the wall. He never threw it at me or he would throw it like, I'm going to throw it over there. <laughs> so, but I got used to his demeanor. Um, I just knew that he just didn't like what was going on maybe globally in the world. I didn't take it personal. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was. I had to be very strong at that time. <laughs> yeah, you have to essentially build, build a shield around you. because. And something interesting that you just said was, I had to accept that was his demeanor. Whereas a woman working in the same environment, if she was to act out, if she was to throw things against a wall, she'd be called crazy. You know, it should be called cool. way <laughs> too emotional, true. way That's too true. emotional. Uh, this this environment, how was it for you? Like being a woman and because I feel this, especially in, in my industry, it's very male dominating. Mm -hmm. So did you have any female mentors that you were being helped and guided by or was it mostly male ones? I didn't have any female. Mm. I had a few females that were underneath me at, uh, that I was in charge of, but I had no females around me. It was all men at that time. And I always had a male mentor. So at that time, I just had to deal with what they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty much I was by myself a lot as the woman mm -hmm. in the group. And mm -hmm. I just got used to it. But I think um, 
I only had brothers growing up, and I had close cousins. I had cousins that were women, cousins that were also brothers that live right next door. So I was a little tougher than maybe <laughs> most women would be mm-hmm. because I had to deal with my brothers teasing me all the time and, you know, those types of things. Yeah. Is, there, is there like a standout story that, you know, always comes to mind whenever you're being interviewed or whenever you're asked, you know, any challenges that you may have had? Because I know for me, I think of certain particular situations that really just put that fire in my belly. That was a negative situation, but you turned it into a positive one. Is there any standout moments, uh, especially during that time? I mean, there were times when, uh, I mean, I had a negative situation that was, it was during the time in the military where women were really getting treated bad. And um, at that time, a woman came to me and explained to me that she was having problems with a a superior leader. And uh, it it took everything out of me, but I took it and I had to say something. Um, But um, it was was one of those um, hard situations, I'd have to say, but I had to do the right thing um, because the military has a lot of problems with that, Mm -hmm. Um, the men taking advantage of the women, and she didn't know who to go to. And um, I was forced at that time to go pull her out of bed in the morning. She wouldn't come out of bed because she was so depressed about what was going on. And at that moment, I was like, okay, well, I don't understand. This girl was always running four miles a day with me. She was the only one. The rest are men. But then she finally broke down and cried to me and told me. She felt comfortable. Mm. But I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't, I I really didn't know what was going on. So Mm. at that point, I was like, wait a second. This is really, truly going on in front of me. So I decided to do my own investigation and see if it was really going on and follow some people, and I found out it really, truly was going on. So then I had to be my own, I don't know, what do you want to call it, police officer, and say something. But it was a really difficult, negative situation, but I felt like I saved her life Mm -hmm. at that point because it can get very brutal in the military when these things do happen. Um, So I felt like that was a negative that turned into a positive, and I, I learned a lot at that point, too, what I had in me to save somebody's life. Mm-hmm. The courage, the courage it took because yeah. it could potentially have risked your position, everything that you oh. had worked for as well. I'm sure those things went through your mind as well. Well, yes, it did. I actually, at that point, I was threatened by the individual. As I moved to Korea. I had moved to Korea and they threatened me, but I was working for a two-star general at that time. So I came back a very strong woman and I said, don't do that next time. Because I had secure telephones when they were calling me on, the individual was, because they figured out that I had said something. Mm. But I, I pretty much stood up for myself. They never bothered me again. Wow, see that? I think you have to just come back as a woman and not be weak. And to me at that point, I said, nobody's ever going to push me around like that. Because mm-hmm. I did the right thing. Exactly. And you can live with that to this day. Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I can imagine to even go back to that place is, is not very nice, <laughs> but we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so those, I guess, qualities that you just told us about, you know, cu- courage, bravery, strength, all incredible elements of a leader. And so after that period in your life, what, what happened afterwards and what really strived you and pushed you to do what you do today? Well, I think what pushed me the most is when I came very close to death, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. When you when you see death right in your eyes, I had, was in the military, I jumped out of a plane, and I hurt my back really bad, and I thought I was going to die. I had a concussion, I was in the hospital for an extremely long time, um, and other things that happened to my body. So at that point, 
I, and when I came out of that concussion, I came out and I felt like I was praying at that time too. I said, you know, I can do anything. After that, I realized, okay, I came back from death. When you come back from death, I feel like you can do anything. And I don't know, something hit me from then on. I said, it doesn't matter. I can conquer anything that anybody throws at me because I, I lived. <laughs> so I always say when you get that near-death experience, it really does change you. So that's when it changed me. And I decided I had to get out of the military because it took me about two years to walk again, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Walk correctly, physical therapy, all that. And then I just decided that I was going to pursue my education. I, I did some other positions in the government. I went overseas, did some contractual intelligence work um, and those types of things. So it's kind of like I just kept going on and trying some different things. So, yeah, and then I decided I retired early from the government in my 30s. I was able to do that, and uh, I decided just to pursue my education. So I got a Harvard degree. I started my consulting company. Um, I had people working for me, and that was really nice. I, I liked doing that. It was more um, business and psychology training with different companies, and also I did financial also consulting. So I had that company on the side, and then I did my all my master's degrees and everything, and I traveled to Boston, from Boston to California, so I finished my degree, Harvard Business Degree, and I started my PhD in Global Leadership and Change. I got all the way to my dissertation, started my dissertation, and then I was like, okay, I'm stuck in it. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) I didn't finish my dissertation because I felt like I needed something more. I was stuck in the writing, and I wanted to change. So then I headed here to Dubai. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I needed needed to live someplace else. I've I've worked everywhere. I've lived globally in different areas. So I just felt like I, I needed to be someplace where... Um, I could be creative and work with different cultures. That was so important to me. Yeah, I mean, you've left such an impact everywhere you've worked. And being this international individual who's led people from everywhere that you are, I'd love to ask you, what are the kind of patterns and challenges that you have faced? Because you've done some incredible things for the youth as well, which we'll get onto. But but what were the patterns that you really faced, especially with women that were under you, that that you were working with? I think women have a hard time. I, I This is in my research, too women have a hard time with their voices being heard and the research shows it I have so much research on this you know men have a different type of voice and women are very soft and they sound nurturing and all that but it doesn't mean that they can't do the job or they can't do business and when they voice something that could be um, not so kind in the workplace it, it looks really people don't listen to them and it could be just something simple but it's very commonality for some reason that their voices are overheard Mm. and I've seen that over and over and over again so women will come forward and say something and then the guy will come and say and they'll listen to the man or if a woman wants something done in the workplace she'll ask the guy to go say something I do that all the time by the Mm. way Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll say hey can you go say this and they listen so how do we how do we break that though? Is it is that wrong in us asking the guy to go and do it? Because we know that the result is going to be very different. Yeah, I I I really wish I could give you a solution for that. <laughs> I'm trying some different um, techniques, and I think it, it really depends on how you how your demeanor is when you say something too. Because mm. women tend to be more um, soft spoken, and they have to be more assertive. And it's very difficult for them to be assertive sometimes, um, especially if they have a good personality. Let's say everybody likes them in the workplace. Their personality is great. They're not accustomed to being maybe being assertive in just a particular situation. They really need to push forward. 
So I think the training has to be, I've had some of this training before, um, basically how you stand, how you assert your voice, how your head is, how your hands are. It depends on whether people listen to you or not when you're standing. So it, it, it really, and men have a tendency to, to do all that naturally. <laughs> Women don't. And I don't know if it's because we have children, we, we bear children, we're more nurturing. And so we have a tendency to put our hands in the wrong space where people don't listen. Mm-hmm. Our head in the wrong area and tilt it back and forth, not straight, where men don't really do that. So I think it's just one of those things that's just a natural instinct for us. Mm-hmm. And we have a hard time doing that. So when you take like acting classes, speaking classes, all that, and I took all these at Harvard, they teach you all that. So people will listen to you when you're on stage or listen to you when you're talking to them and how to put, where to put your hips, mm. your legs, your hands, your head, your shoulders. So it's very strict. Your eyebrows, your eyelashes, <laughs> everything needs yeah, to be in position. It, yeah. yeah, and so people will listen to you more then. Mm. It's like they, that's why if you see orators that are really good Mm -hmm. you have to watch their watch what their where their hands are their face their shoulders their feet everything they're in a certain position and people attract to that Mm -hmm. and they listen it's just psychology in the brain really it is right (laughs) but it's does does a woman then have to basically fight her natural instinct of being a nurturer (laughs) in order to be recognized in the workplace is that what we're saying yeah i mean (laughs) yeah sometimes they might have to unfortunately Mm -hmm. Mm. You have to turn the switch. <laughs> you do. You have to do what you have to do. Right, exactly. To get the results that you want. Right. Um, now, I want to get to all the work that you've done for youth. I mean, you have put in so much voluntary work, I want to point out, uh, into helping communities uh, globally. Can you tell us more about that and what really inspired you to do so? Sure. I mean, when I lived in Korea, I, I really liked to work in the orphanages. There was just something about it because in other cultures, especially handicapped children, and they can't come, they put them all in orphanages. So I really enjoyed going there, giving them Christmas presents. We did that as soldiers. So I really enjoyed doing that. It was like one of those things. I'm like, okay, this is something that, and the kids just really come to you and they're like, oh, you know, and they want to just see you. They want to see somebody other than, um, and I think the reason why is because my grandfather was an orphan. So I really, really want to help the orphanages and all that. And I did the same thing. I actually worked in Kosovo in Albania. So I I used to give money and help the kids that were refugees. There were so many refugees there. So I really enjoyed the refugees and just sitting down and listening to their stories. I mean, and they just want somebody to listen to them. That's the most interesting thing about the refugees that really got pushed out of their homes um, in Kosovo and Albania. They didn't really care about anything. I'd I'd buy them a Coke. Oh, I want to talk to you. (laughs) So we'd buy them Cokes because they thought that was like, it was a million dollars to them, a Mm Coca-Cola. So we'd buy all them Cokes and then they would just talk to us. So they just wanted somebody to listen to them. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of fun. So we would do that on the border and just talk to the children and sometimes give them candy. Mm -hmm. And they loved it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I I always enjoyed them because I felt, and they always wanted to come to America. They always, Mm -hmm. I want to come to the United States on the plane with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm here right now, you yeah. know, but they just, they hear about it and they just want to leave. It's I'm like, wow, you want to leave your home country? Yes, I want to go. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they hear all these things. They yeah. hear stories. So it's very interesting. And yeah. that was, that was on a human to human level, you know, of you just being, I, I guess, essentially maybe a shoulder to cry on, maybe yeah. just a, a, a therapist, you yeah. know, a mom that they potentially didn't have, a sister that they didn't have. 
And so where did it transition into you wanting to push the skills and, you know, all the education you had acquired to help other people in similar situations that you'd potentially been in? When did that transition happen? I think a transition happened um, for myself when I was also volunteering for the Veterans Administration because that's what I do. And I was like, okay, I really would go see the patients and patients that have been affected by war. And that really clicked with me. Because I hadn't got my education yet. I had to finish my bachelor's degrees, but not all the psychology degrees and all that. And I've got a lot of degrees. <laughs> but yeah, I basically just, that's when it clicked for me. You know, people just want to be heard. They just want you to be there. And um, I did major business contracts for the VA, including we built mental health facilities for the Veterans Affairs in the United States. And this is when the building was really huge for that. because, And then I realized there are so many people that need mental health. Um, really mental health is so important to me. And I thought, wow, you know, they just, they just need people to come and volunteer and talk to them. And if it was only for 30 minutes, I would go and do and sit beside their bed and speak to them. Mm -hmm. And they really enjoyed it. And that's when it clicked, you know, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. is to be there for children or people with mental health conditions. Amazing, amazing. And then you, so you moved to the UAE. Uh, you wanted something new. You wanted something fresh. Definitely yeah. the place to do it. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. What did you start doing when you first moved here? I started doing, actually, I did a little bit of commercial real estate, but mm-hmm. I didn't like it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do. Um, so I took some time off and, and then I ended up uh, working where I'm at now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the royal family office. Yeah, office. And, and, and what you do now, you absolutely love it. Is it something that you had envisioned yourself doing? Um, you know, everybody tells me yes, but I never did. You know, sometimes <laughs> people see in you what you don't see in yourself. Because um, I've worked with nothing but government leaders my whole life um, since I was 23 years old. So it kind of makes sense. It works. I've worked in the military with nothing but high ambassadors and all that. So I'm very diplomatic in the workplace. So it's, it's a good place for me. And I'm also good at business. So working in the investment side and all that, yes, I think it's a good fit, but I didn't see that in myself, you know, but like I said, people always see other things in you that you don't. But yeah, I, I really like it. I enjoy helping people, you know, with their projects, getting investments that they like to get. Um, we also help people with getting commodities and trade. You know, maybe they just want to bring something. They need the funding. We help them with that. So it's nice to see people's eyes light up when I say, yes, we can help you. Oh, okay, great. So it's more or less helping people. It's it's there again. I like to help people. It's very important to me. So yeah, I do that. And then I help people with getting, you know, different things that they want. If they want a partnership with our office, they can do that also, which is really important. We can get them the government connections that they've tried for three years, and I get them very fast. So I think it's something that I just I just want to be there and make sure people succeed. That's mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. So so we it's clear one of your goals is that, to help people all around you, to help them succeed. But you mentioned earlier that the people that saw what you didn't see in yourself, <laughs> yeah. and it's so important to have the the right people around you. Yes. Tell me, tell me about that. At what oh, point sure, were you aware sure. <laughs> of how important it is to have the right people around Actually, you? I was at Harvard um, University and I ended up being a teaching assistant for a very famous professor. Mm-hmm. Psychology. And I was going to go get my doctorate and be a psychiatrist actually. 
And he pulled me off to the side. He said, no, you, you're so good at business. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> he, he was an organizational psychologist. He had a mm-hmm. business degree and a psychology degree. He goes, I think you need to go get a business degree. He actually told me that. He says, you are too good at business. And I had no idea. I was like, no, I'm good at psychology. He goes, no, you're better at business. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he just told me. And yeah. I was like, I sat down and thought about it for a while, and I was like, yeah, he's right. I've been around nothing but businesses with my family my whole life, so it's just in me. Mm-hmm. So I changed. <laughs> it makes sense. It clicked, yeah, yeah. But he, you know, he was very good about seeing things, a very intelligent man, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what were your friendship groups at the time? Because I've, I look back at my history and the, the people that I had in, in my past, they weren't necessarily good for the goal that I was trying to achieve in my professional career career was that something that you were aware of or ever burned by or actually very lucky with actually I wasn't that good with either because people would tell me oh yeah you're going to be a psychiatrist or oh you're going to but no I think it was the people that actually taught me and mentored me Mm. that said this is what you're good at because mm-hmm. you know your friends will just tell you what you like to hear. Of course they do, don't they? Most of the time, yes, yes, especially so. when you're succeeding as yeah. well. Yes. And I would love to know from you in terms of education because there's such a debate around education as a whole. If it's really needed anymore, because personally for me, I feel like I wasted three years of my life at university. <laughs> it didn't get me to where I wanted to get to. Yeah. Uh, w- what is your stance? Because you you didn't go through education at the time that you were supposed to. Air quotes. So supposed to, uh, to then later on in your life, actually achieving above and beyond what, yeah. what you had even thought you could. So what, what are your thoughts on it as a whole for any, any young, young right. people listening right now? I think education is what catapulted me to where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because education has changed. It's not like it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends went to college right out of high school. They didn't have the same education I have. I went to, you know, get my master's degree much at an older age But the education now, specifically in the United States, is project-based. And it's real-world project-based. Everything I did, I was actually working with real companies and solving real-world problems. I wasn't just doing a theoretical paper. So when you're just doing theory, it's not good. But when you're doing theory and practical and applying it, it makes a big difference. I did some projects I would never dream of while I was going to Harvard. I um, I worked with Bank of America. I worked with Walmart. I worked with major companies and their CEOs. We're not just talking about the lower levels. We consulted at the higher level and solved problems through the university. So I think it has changed dramatically because people want that. Like you're saying, maybe your education, you'd have felt like it was a waste. And maybe it was. But nowadays, no. I think more and more they have to show the children that this has got to be applied. But you also need to know the theory, too, behind that. So once you do that theoretical and apply it, you have to apply, I say. Then, yeah, everything I do now today, I, I learned in my educational background, by the way. And not only the education through the military. The military sent me through lots of schooling and the government. So they sent me through law classes. I've got a lot of classes um, that was taught through lawyers, uh, contract law, everything. Right now, today, that I write the contracts at the at the office that I'm at. And really, it's it's good because everybody's like, that sounds so legal. Are you an attorney? But I learned that before to do. Mm-hmm. And I did it for many for like three years. But I told them I was trained to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, I take what I've done and I'm, I'm applying it. So I feel like my education has been a very good path for mm-hmm. myself. And I would tell the youth, go for it. Mm-hmm. I think it will, but do what you like to do. 
and make sure that you apply it. Right. And for how, sure. And how important is persistence, especially when it comes to building your network? Because they tell you, you know, your network is your net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people would send emails nonstop, uh, DMs, <laughs> messages nonstop to just try to get their foot through the door. How important was that in, in your career? I mean, it may have, some things might have just happened by luck, right time, yeah. right place. Yeah. That's also a thing. But persistence is definitely needed. Yes, I think so. Persistence is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and being consistent. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I always went to networking groups. I mean, networking is huge in the United States. So I never missed a networking group. I was part of those groups, the Chamber of Commerce. I volunteered at the Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because I wanted all that, like you say, the network. Mm-hmm. And they, they would recommend me to different things. So I think it's it's really good to be a part of the community. That's so, so important. And to this day, I go to many conferences. Mm-hmm. And I meet so many people. Um, I just went to what DIFC FinTech Week last week. I think I've had 30 emails since then for people that want to work with our office. That's just two days of going to a conference. So I think it's really important to put yourself out there mm-hmm. to whatever you can, mm-hmm. whatever networking groups. But also, it's interesting. Now they call it friend sourcing. Oh. So it's big thing now. So you have friends and you're sourcing your friends to find what you need. Before, that was never supposed to be. You're never supposed to work with your friends. You're supposed to work with other people. Lastly, Andrea, I just want to ask you about what's left for you in the future. You've already achieved so much. Most would think, okay, Andrea, just chill out now. You know, go take a long (laughs) holiday, retire. What are your sights set on now? Um, basically I have a, I have about three or four projects I'm working on right now. So I'm, I'm looking at, uh, hopefully I will be the chairman of the board and a board member of that. And that'll take me where I need to be. So to be probably a FinTech corporation and, uh, some other things I, I won't disclose here for now, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, hopefully in the next couple months, now I'll be taking off with that. Maybe on season two, <laughs> maybe on season two, we'll find out more. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Andrea, I'm, I have to thank you so much for making the time to be with us here today and for sharing so much of your journey and your story. So thank you once again for being here. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Women in leadership brought to you by Heron Code.